On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hi everyone, it's Emma Kixie here, and I'm your host. So we made it to the last episode of this season, um, and today's episode is a really big one. I wanted to give you an update on my journey with sleep apnea. And for anyone who hasn't been listening the whole time, I started out with a diagnosis when I was 30. I'd had undiagnosed sleep apnea for more than a decade. I've been using the CPAP for about the last 13 years. And last year, I started looking into what the underlying causes of my sleep apnea might be. So... I just wanted to preface this interview with making sure that everybody still understood that the very first step you're going to want to take if you're not sure if you have sleep apnea is to go to a board certified sleep specialist and get a sleep study. And they're the ones who can give you a full diagnosis. And if at that point you're diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea, which mainly we've talked about obstructive sleep apnea and not central sleep apnea this season, If you have obstructive sleep apnea, you're going to either do a CPAP machine, which is what I do, or a mandibular advancement device fitted by a specialist dentist who specializes in sleep dentistry. And what you're going to want to do with that, if you do go the mandibular advancement route, you're going to want to have a follow-up sleep study to make sure that it's working and it's lowering your AHI. CPAP, mandibular advancement device, or some people are good candidates for the Inspire implant, and that also will keep your tongue from blocking your airway. So those three treatments are treating your sleep apnea right now so that you don't have any of the stroke or heart attack um, increased risk that comes with untreated sleep apnea. So all that said, today we're going to be talking about me looking into the root causes of my sleep apnea. So it's important when you're listening to this to understand that I'll be using my CPAP as directed by my sleep specialist until such time as I have a sleep study that shows that my sleep apnea is either gone or so reduced that I don't need a CPAP anymore. Um, so what I don't want is for somebody to listen to part of this episode and and just think, well, I'm going to do a few myofunctional therapy exercises, which do help sleep apnea, but I don't think anybody would recommend you do that as the only thing you're going to do. 
So what I'm doing here is very much a team effort, which is why I decided to have not one guest, but four guests on today's episode. So I'm going to be interviewing my myofunctional therapist, Caitlin Shrum, and also my breathwork coach, my Bateco breathing coach, Joe Brierley, my dentist, Dr. Michelle DeFelice Hucky. Michelle is helping me with my palate expansion using some Vivos appliances. And the fourth person I'm interviewing to introduce you guys to is my husband. And um, because his support has been really important in this whole journey. And um, I think living with me can be a lot sometimes. So I thought it'd be fun to introduce him to you guys. So before we crack on with those interviews, as I said, this is the last episode of the season, but I'm only taking a break for a month. So I'll be back on August 11th with new episodes. And I'm already doing those interviews and there's some really interesting guests. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy the next season. So there's plenty of ways in the meantime that you can help the show. Um, you can go back and listen to any of the episodes you missed. You can subscribe to the podcast um, or indeed leave a rating or a review. That really helps the show. Um, another exciting bit of information last week, I found out that I was nominated for some WeGo Health Awards. So the podcast got nominated. Um, that's a kind of patient focused organization where they recognize like patient leaders so that's quite exciting um so if you would like to help with my nomination you can go and endorse me so i'll put the link in the show notes and you just click on the link to go and click that you endorse my nomination so it's kind of like voting for the show so i really appreciate anyone that does that um, and the last thing is I have a really short listener survey that I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Um, it takes only like about five minutes. And that just helps me um, in the process of getting sponsors for the show. So thank you so much to all of you who have listened for this season. And I really appreciate all your feedback and kind um, emails and comments. So Without further ado, here is here are my conversations with my team. So we're going to start with Caitlin Shrum, who is a myofunctional therapist here in Jack. Okay. Hello. So, hi Caitlin. Hi Emma. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Of course. Do you want to just start and tell everybody where you are? Yeah, absolutely. I am in Jacksonville Beach um, in the beaches area around Jacksonville. Big news today is I'm actually getting my own office in Neptune Beach. That's so very that's exciting. New. Yeah. yeah, it's my it's my one year anniversary of really dedicating everything to Mayo. Yeah. And really just striking so out. So tell people own. a little bit about what your professional background is and how you started myofunctional therapy, that kind of thing. Okay. So I am a speech language pathologist. I've always specialized in feeding therapy and it was always geared more towards pediatrics. Um, and I had done that for about like 
eight years at the at that time, maybe maybe a little bit less, but I had really been dedicated to doing feeding um, with the little ones. And I knew that there was a piece missing as far as function because in school they'll be they'll say, Oh, the tongue's important, but it's not that important. You know, you can you can still feed functionally without having really precise movements and you don't need that much precision when you're chewing. It's important, but don't focus on it. Mm. But I wasn't seeing the outcomes with a lot of my clients that that really made them functional. You can be functioning without being functional. So when you say functional, you mean in the way that they're swallowing and like feeding? Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. So from the time you take the utensil or whether you're putting it, whether they were putting it in their mouth with their fingers, looking at that whole process from the time it goes from the hand utensil down to the stomach, you can be functioning, but it doesn't mean that you are functional. And I think you know that from your journey with sleep apnea, you can, you can function, but you're not always functional. Right. And also from my journey of how I was eating when I first met yes. you, <laughs> which we'll yeah. get into. So um, briefly recap for people listening. I know I've talked an awful lot about myofunctional therapy on the podcast, but there's also people who dip in and out and don't listen to the episodes like an order. So for anybody who hasn't heard of myofunctional therapy, do you want to just briefly go over what that is? Uh, yes. So myofunctional therapy is therapy that addresses symptoms that are associated with sleep apnea, orthodontic retention. So that's for if you've had any kind of orthodontic work, making sure that you don't go back to the way your teeth used to look. Mm -hmm. um, tongue thrust, tongue tie, mouth breathing. Um, it can also be articulation and feeding disorders. So we work on normalizing the rest postures. So at, at rest, you want your tongue on, we call it the spot or incisive papilla. Um, it's the little bump right behind your upper teeth, uh, lip sealed and breathing through your nose. Because what happens is your tongue is your body's natural palate expander and really impacts the way your airway develops over your life, well, from birth and through your lifespan. So we work on normalizing those rest postures and then also work on things like swallowing and chewing and articulation as well. Let's get on to when we met. Yes. Um, so I had had somebody on my podcast last fall who was talking all about James Nestor's book, Breath, and myofunctional therapy, and nasal dilators, and all sorts of things that I was like, what is this woman talking about? Like, I don't, I, I think at that point I had James Nestor's book, but I hadn't devoured it. I just was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I should really read that. And so then after I interviewed um, Natasha, I dug into James Nestor's book and was like, oh, wow, all the stuff he's talking about to do with um, development of your face and your airway um, is exactly what had been what my history was. Right. So he was talking about how if your tongue is not in the correct place and your mouth breathing your whole life 
your airway is going to be compromised and not form properly because your palate is not expanded properly kind of thing so after that he talked about myofunctional therapy in his book so i literally just googled myofunctional therapist jacksonville <laughs> and you were the person that came up so i went ahead and got in touch with you and went for an initial intake with you so i thought we would just tell everybody a little bit about that um, so it was like an hour and a half. Can you tell everybody a little bit about what we did that first meeting? And also, most interestingly, what you thought of what I had going on in terms of mouth breathing, uh, <laughs> narrow palate, crazy, like tongue posture and all those things. We had a pretty intense intake. I feel like it was it was long, but I also feel like you and I are super chatty and got along. <laughs> really well right away. Um, but during the intake, we did a full oral exam. So looking at the structures of the mouth and the face, and then also looking at the functions. So what your tongue was able to do, what your lips were able to do. And what we really want to see during that is, can you move the structures of your mouth? So your lips, your cheeks, your tongue without engaging any other muscle group. So can you lift your tongue up without moving your jaw and having your whole jaw move? And can you move your lips without moving your entire face and your neck? I'm and just laughing because we both know that the answer to that is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think we started, um, I had you walk. I remember having you walk up and down the hall and I was checking your posture and I definitely noticed a few things with your posture and, um, <laughs> I think I recommended body work at that point and you were saying how much you hated body work because it hadn't gone well in the past because it hurt um and I you know your tension was very very visible right from the moment you walked in mm -hmm. and you could see it in your neck and your posture yeah um and then during the oral exam we found you know there was a pretty significant tongue tie and hearing your orthodontic history and your airway history it it was very clear that that had had an impact on the way your airway developed. And you were also a thumb sucker, which you had, I remember like looking through your history and being like, okay, we have a lot of airway red flags that are coming up and the thumb sucking was a big one. Um, Cause you had a pretty intense thumb sucking habit if I remember. And, you, and, and what was funny was you asked me uh, when I, what age I stopped sucking my thumb. And I just remember being like, I mean, I used to sometimes like literally be doing it when I was like 10 and 11 in the, like, like when I went to the movie theater, I would be like, well, I'm really relaxed and cozy, <laughs> like, which is. I'm looking at our notes, <laughs> looking at our notes from our first oh, meeting. And I, what I did have, I say? Like, all the time until 10 and then just <laughs> night through your teens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably about right. Oh my gosh. Which for anyone listening, that's not good. <laughs> no, no, that, and thumb sucking is actually, first of all, it's going to move the teeth around. It's definitely going to impact the shape of your palate and your teeth because your tongue's not in the right spot. And then with that, we usually see that high vaulted palate from the, the thumb being pushed up there. For anybody listening, you're, when we're talking about your palate, we're talking about the roof of your mouth. Um, yes. 
so just in case anybody's kind of new to all this stuff, I know we talk all about palette and palette expansion, and that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Sure so tell everyone about how I like eat a granola bar or I don't anymore I don't think but at that point how I was eating a granola bar I'm pretty sure you ate it in two bites yeah <laughs> it was like it was a full-size granola bar yeah um and even in my notes I have giant bites <laughs> yeah and you said that was pretty typical uh when I looked so I had you you thought I was making you do such gross stuff too, because right before I said, right before you go to swallow, I want you to open your mouth and show me the food. And it was scattered just all across your tongue and over your teeth. It wasn't into what we call it a cohesive bolus, or basically your food's supposed to look like a ball or, or compacted so that you can swallow it. And the goal is to have it all go down in one swallow and not have to do any cleanup swallows or, or mm -hmm. and you had very audible swallows, especially with liquid. I could really, I could hear it going down and it, you know, it sound, there's a lot of air going in there. That was our first intake. So then we started meeting every week. And can you tell people a little bit about the kind of exercises you had me do? Yes. So the first thing, I referred you out to a few different providers first. That was that was one of our big steps. So we needed body work um, to work on the fascia or the connect, fascia is the connective tissue that runs literally from your tongue and it goes all the way down to the end of your toes. So, mm -hmm. so when you say body work, I went for craniosacral therapy. Yes. Um, and also, I mean, I kind of have massages anyway, but that was the biggest... Uh, addition was going for some craniosacral therapy. Hmm. So I also referred you out for a palate assessment by a, a dentist because one of the big things was that because you had a tongue tie, your palate was narrow. So the roof of your mouth was, which is really the floor of your nose too, and can mm -hmm. impact your nasal passages and how much mm -hmm. airflow you get through those is very narrow. So we had to get you into Dr. Hockey. Uh, and now you're in the Vivos DNA appliance. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited about that because that's going to allow your tongue to go up and fit into your palate correctly. Mm -hmm. um, but our big, our first big hurdle was getting you ready and prepped. We did pre-op uh, therapy for your tongue tie release. Mm -hmm. So some of the exercises we were doing were for endurance. So can you open your mouth? Can you hold that tongue up to the incisive papilla? Or again, that's that little bump behind your teeth. Can you hold it up for at least a minute um, without seeing any movement or without engaging your jaw or your neck muscles? And Which sounds easy, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And can you move your tongue and it's going to sound silly, but can you go side to side, but in a controlled manner, can you move your tongue out without a thrusting motion? Um, and it takes time. It definitely takes time. If your tongue hasn't been doing those movements or has been doing those movements with compensation from all the other muscles, muscles of your face and yeah. your neck. So your yeah. neck would go when you first started your <laughs> neck, your whole neck and like your torso was involved. Yeah. And now you've made huge progress. And mm -hmm. once we got to the point where you could do, I have certain criteria before I send anyone for a, a release. 
once you met that and you got your release, you, you've made, I mean, huge progress since then. And now we're in the phase of therapy where we're working on our swallowing mechanics. When I had mastered a lot of the exercises Caitlin gave me, I connected with a dentist that you'd worked with, um, Dr. Gary Myers. And um, I actually went for an initial consultation with him where he just said, yes, it looks like you really could benefit from having your tongue tie release. And when we say tongue tie release, we mean cutting um, excess tissue underneath your tongue where it's kind of tethering your tongue lower down than, than it needs to be. Does that explain it? Yeah, so everyone has, it's called a, a frenulum, but it's the best way to describe it is some people, when you lift up your tongue, you can see a string it almost looks like a string. Um, it's a band of tissue, very normal to have. Some people just have shorter or tighter or thicker frenulums that can impact the function. So you can't assess it just by looking at it. You really need a functional assessment. Um, but after so that, the functional, so the functional assessment, assessment is like, can you uh, have your tongue at the roof of your mouth comfortably without pulling on all the rest of the muscles in your face kind of thing. That was part of it. Um, our whole assessment that we did that initial evaluation was really just the functional assessment of, you know, all of, all of your structures, but specifically also the tongue. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very, very clear that based on your speech and your, your, the way you were eating, um, and your history of airway issues that that frenulum was really impacting how functional you could be. Mm -hmm. And so then when um, Dr. Gary said, essentially sent me away and said, when Caitlin is happy that you're ready to have your tongue tie released, I'm happy to do it kind of thing. So we got <laughs> yeah. to the point where uh, you said, I think it's going to be time to go and do that. So then I had my phrenectomy or my tongue tie release after that do you want to say like what happened after that like I had a bunch of different exercises to do to make sure that um the tongue tie didn't kind of reattach back and mm -hmm. then then what did we start working on so after so I think I gave you two weeks off yeah <laughs> when I say two weeks off we weren't doing myo specific Right. Exercise. I was doing a lot of post-op um, exercises to strengthen my tongue and make sure that it all healed correctly. Right. Because if for anyone who doesn't know that your body always wants to return to baseline. So it's very common to get, you're going to get some reattachment, mm -hmm. but what we want to prevent is significant reattachment because we still want you to get that movement. So I think I had you on several exercises six times a day for six weeks <laughs> mm -hmm. um and it's worth saying to people listening if you're going to do myofunctional therapy you have to commit <laughs> yes like, there's a lot of exercises and having to you know practice and practice and practice till you get it yeah and the exercises are only part of it because what we're basic what we're working towards is neuromuscular re-education so after we got those, when, when I say neuromuscular at re-education, I mean, you are recreating a new motor pattern that is different from the one that you've been used to, because with you, 
especially with swallowing and your tongue resting position, when you would swallow your tongue push against your teeth, which is not where we want it. We want it sealed up to the palate and propelling that whatever food you have backwards. And it's a pattern that you've had presumably since gestation, because that's when the lingual frenulum form you can start swallowing incorrectly. So we have to rebuild. We're in the process right now of rebuilding that muscular pattern, that motor pattern, so that you can swallow functionally. So we started out with very discrete exercises where it would be more isolated movements. And now we're working on coordinating the different structures of the mouth and swallowing. Uh, and that one's, I think you'll agree, is it's, it gets tricky. What really really difficult because you have to break up into steps and think about what you're doing when you're swallowing it's difficult to stop yourself when you're doing something that comes naturally and Mm -hmm. think about how to do it differently from what you've been doing for your whole life yep that's where I am right now and it is really challenging really good so I just want to say a really big thank you um just for being so wonderful and helping me so much but also being on the podcast oh of course thank you for having me and thank you for being just my all-star client this episode of sleep apnea stories is sponsored by Mute. Regardless of whether you have sleep apnea, use a CPAP machine, or just deal with allergies and congestion, you deserve a good night's sleep. Mute is here to help make that happen. A nasal dilator made from ultra-soft medical-grade polymers, Mute gently holds your nasal airways open, which increases airflow by an average of 38%. And that 38% improvement means more breathing, less snoring, and better sleep for you and your partner, or kids, or dog. The quality sleep your body wants and needs is well within reach. Breathe more, snore less, sleep better with Mute's comfortable and customizable fit. Okay, so that was Caitlin Trum, and now on to my next interview, which is with Joe Brierley of The Breathing Clinic. Um, I've been working with Joe for a few months on my breath work. Um, she does botaco breathing, but also a bunch of other different breath work, which is going to explain to us. So here is Joe. Thank you so much for joining me, Joe. Um, Thank you, Emma, for having me. It's a pleasure. You, how do you feel about sharing your own journey with how you really discovered breath work and, you know, changed the course of your life, really? Do you feel okay. comfortable sharing that with everybody? Absolutely, yeah. So um, I first came to discover the power of the breath um, Oh, directly after um, my daughter and I were involved in the Manchester Arena terrorist attack. So that's the Ariana Grande concert over uh-huh. here in the UK. Um, and my daughter was inside and very close to where the bomber was. 
when it, the bomb went off and I was outside and she didn't come out. Um, and I literally stopped breathing at that point. And, I, and I, my breath was taken away from me and it didn't really recover properly. Um, and I, and I, in order to get over that trauma, because I was really holding onto the trauma and, the, and what in effect was PTSD afterwards um, and this intense fear of um, something that's gonna happen to my daughter by the way, she was fine, and, and she uh -huh. wasn't injured. Psychological injuries, but not uh, physical injuries. Uh -huh. um, but it definitely changed our lives forever. And I looked at lots of different therapies to see how I could overcome the anxiety that was really, really heightened and acute. Um, beyond, you'd have to be involved in a terrorist attack to understand yeah. where that can take you. Um, and so I knew I needed help and, and Emily knew I needed help as well. Um, and she was very much um, at the time, somebody that was um, very much into practicing mindfulness and meditation. She was only. Um, but you weren't, right? No, I wasn't. Right. No. So she was 15 at the time. So it was the first concert she'd ever been able to go to on her own. Oh. Um, but she was really into personal development and in particular had a, a real um passion for mindfulness and meditation so she had some tools in her toolbox whereas I didn't and she recognized this so she first of all she suggested we do an eight-week um, mindfulness based stress reduction course together and it was through that course when you when you work with mindfulness and the foundation of mindfulness which is meditation practice um, you you are very much aware of your breath and breath awareness is it is, plays a massive role and the breath becomes your anchor and I had such a profound connection with my own breath and the fact that it suddenly I was very much aware of how I was breathing or not breathing I suppose mm -hmm. I was an upper chest breather I, I was holding on to my breath a lot of the time I didn't breathe um, through my nose like I should I was mouth breathing um, as well as nose breathing but I was holding on hugely um, and holding on to a lot more um, besides that. So I, I started to research um, breath work in general um, after that and became very um, aware that in order to um, take yourself to a very different level of healing, I suppose, um, the foundation of that is the breath. Mm -hmm. And I went and I decided at that time that because of what we'd been through, the enormity of what we'd been through, I needed to go out there and find the world's leaders in breath work and breathing therapy and work with them from a personal point of view, personal development point of view. And by doing that, it suddenly, the, the effect was so profound and in the change that it had on me. Um, I came very quickly to realize that I'd been um, chronically anxious for decades before, mm -hmm. very high perceived stress. Um, and there was, I was living in from a place of fear way before the terrorist attack. Um, and this was all exacerbated at the time. So I decided to, I spent um, some time working with Dan Brule, um, who is world renowned breath master in a very different capacity to the work that I do now. It's um, very deep subconscious work um, opening up any um, pent up and held on to trauma and mm -hmm. releasing it. And I spent six days working with Dan on the breath. I definitely um, was able to release the trauma 
um, but it was quite um, an emotional intense way and very intense and very emotional way of dealing with trauma. Um, but I decided to train Dan in the fundamentals of breathwork because his knowledge was so vast and so mm -hmm. in-depth um, in that I wanted this hugely broad knowledge of breathwork because I didn't know where I... I knew at this stage that it had been so profound with me that I needed to train in it to help mm -hmm. others. I knew that much, but I didn't know what kind and style of breathwork was right for me. So I trained in the fundamentals of breathwork with Dan. Um, and that gave me this very broad spectrum. And then I did a lot more research and discovered um, Dr. Patricia Gerberg and Dr. Richard Brown from New York State. Incredible, incredible um, clinical psychiatrists that have just done the most amazing work worldwide. And coherent breathing that's come from all the research and the science that Stephen Elliott has created to deliver that. So they've taken coherent breathing and they've worked um, and used it as part of a package, breath, body, mind package, to work with victims of trauma, mass disaster around the world, mm -hmm. including the 9-11 terrorist attack. But I very quickly um, wanted to become somebody that worked with breathing practices that were backed by science and trialed um, clinically and had as much evidence as in case studies to support the work. I also knew very early on from the work with Dan that um, you know the diaphragm is king when it comes to breathing and we have to engage our diaphragm it's our main respiratory muscle and um, if we're not engaging and using the diaphragm then we're not functional healthy breathers so I'd done a lot of work on myself with diaphragmatic breathing I had to retrain myself because mm -hmm. I was paradoxical breather so I breathed totally the wrong way so when I breathed in my diaphragm sucked in and when I breathed out my diaphragm pushed out and that's the complete opposite to how we breathe you're meant to breathe um, and so I trained myself um, in working with my diaphragm um, as a main respiratory muscle so I had the, the, the biomechanics if you like of breathing mm -hmm. involving the diaphragm I had the psychophysiological aspects of breathing which is the management of the autonomic nervous system but I hadn't got any um, area of understanding or expertise at that point in terms of the importance of working with the biochemistry of breathing. Mm -hmm. I um, feel like Patrick McEwen's coming. He is coming, my hero, <laughs> he's my guru. <laughs> he has totally transformed me as a person and my life, my career, everything, because he was the giant piece of the puzzle that was missing. Mm -hmm. Working with the biochemistry of breathing, I knew that there was something missing and I couldn't quite work out what it was and then I discovered Patrick and his work and it was like, I've got to train with this person. So before I trained with him, I did the work as much of it as I could on myself, mm -hmm. um, which is easier said than done, actually. It's well, I know that, Joe. <laughs> How do you know that, Emma? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's like anything, you know, it's very much like going to joining a gym. You can go and join a gym and you can work out how those machines work and think that you're doing it right. But right. the minute you go and go to that gym with a personal trainer, that's a completely different experience. Yes. And it takes everything to a different level. Um, so for people listening, I 
Um, if they haven't listened to my interview with Patrick McEwen, they should go back and listen to that because I interviewed Patrick in January of this year. And at that point I had read his book, Oxygen Advantage, and I'd read some articles he sent me and I was just like discovering that breathing actually had a lot to do with sleep apnea and you know, nasal breathing was really important. And I was discovering all these things. Well, when I read that book, my control pause was four, which, which I know you're going to explain for people in a minute, which is really low. So I was, you know, everything was wrong with my breathing, essentially. And when I talked to Patrick, he said, well, doing, you know, it's not, it's not enough just to change from mouth breathing to nasal breathing. So I think at the time I had been mouth taping at night and I was trying to breathe through my nose. But he explained that all of these different exercises to do with air hunger were really what I needed to do in order to see the change. So even by doing some of those exercises, until I started working with you, there was really only, you know, like there really wasn't a huge shift until we were working one-on-one together. Absolutely. And and I could, I, you know, listening to that interview with you and Patrick, I could, that's, you know, where the connection came because it was very obvious that you were understanding the work that he was delivering and you were, had the knowledge because you were reading about it. But I just picked up that you weren't putting it into practice in the way that you should and that would benefit you the most. And yeah. that's why... I wanted to help really because I could really feel that there was this, you know, I, that you could get so much benefit from it. Patrick doesn't do one-to-ones because he's too busy. Right. And, and I just felt like you needed help really. So I put together these pieces based on the work that I'd done with Dan Brule, the doctors in the States and Patrick and um, basically came up with the concept for myself that I was delivering functional breathing therapy so the biochemistry is um relates to what we call the buteco breathing method and this is where patrick McEwen started off um mm-hmm. with buteco work and um, and that works with basically teaching people in a nutshell how to breathe less so it reduces so from a, an, an obstructive sleep apnea perspective it's looking at teaching you how to breathe um, at a slower rate, so you're reducing your respiratory rate, you're reducing your breathing volume, you're breathing um, le- much less in terms of being quiet, gentle, soft, there's no hard, forceful breathing, there's no mouth breathing, there's no pressure, there's no um, pushing and pulling, it's a very, very relaxed, gentle, slow, calm way of breathing. And that sounds very easy when you describe it like that but it's not as you know it's not easy um, it's really hard <laughs> it is and we work the buteco breathing method works with people's ability um to tolerate carbon dioxide so when we breathe less we're holding on to a little bit more carbon dioxide in the body um, so when we have dysfunctional breathing patterns we tend to be mouth breathers or we're breathing hard we're breathing fast it's an effort to br- take a breath in we can't quite get this big breath that people talk about in we're breathing in our upper chest our shoulders and um, we're not engaging the diaphragm we're very tense 
we're, we're breathing fast and rapid breathing. So all these are dysfunctional breathing patterns. And it's my job to identify those patterns in people and reverse them. And people who have sleep apnea have a lot, tick a lot of those boxes for those, that dysfunction, those dysfunctional breathing patterns. And when you change the behavior and the way people breathe throughout the day and the night, mm-hmm. the difference it makes to people's overall health and well-being um, is significant. And when you're in a highly stressed state or an anxious state, or you're used to over-breathing and hyperventilating, your respiratory rate could be anything from 15 to 20 breaths a minute plus. Some you know, acutely anxious people are in the 20s and it's not a good, healthy place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say I can get you down to six breaths a minute, it can be a bit alarming, but it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as cadence breathing, this is where coherent breathing comes in. So the work that I did with Dr. Patricia Gerberg and Dr. Richard Brown is about getting you to five breaths a minute. So it's slowing that pace down even further. But the difference between the two is that coherent breathing is a balanced breath. So your inhale is equal to your exhale. If you're a purely true coherent breathing practitioner, you work to a specific timer, which is produced by Stephen Elliott. And it's roughly 5.85 seconds in and 5.8 seconds out. And that balances the autonomic nervous system. And that, for me, is key when I'm working with people, particularly with who are in a stressed, um, anxious state. Uh, and particularly, I work with other victims of terrorism, um, got PTSD. And so so tell, tell people, so when, when you're um, talking about the program you take people through, it's mm-hmm. worth um, emphasizing that this is the sort of thing where you can get great results if you're willing to put in effort and time right to do all of the exercises so do you want to tell people what what it kind of looks like like is is each person different in the exercises you give them or or how does that work so it does require commitment dedication um really there's no point in coming to work with me unless you're prepared to do the work i can't breathe for you you know, um, I provide the education, the tools, the back at the support, the coaching, all the material that you need when you're not with me. But at the end of the day, I can't do that work. For you. One of the, the differences of working with you versus trying to, to kind of follow along some of Patrick's exercises in his book. And I think before I'd read about this air hunger where you essentially feel like you need to breathe, but you're you know like you're in that kind of state to build up your co2 tolerance um and i don't think i ever really fully got that until i worked with you Mm -hmm. because i felt like kind of i suppose safe to that you probably weren't going to kill me (laughs) (laughs) whereas when when you're kind of on your own you're like oh this doesn't feel good i want to take a big breath but you know it's, so, it's very subtle, you know, coming in and finding that air hunger and realizing that, that what the definition of air hunger is that need to take a bigger breath. Mm-hmm. But trusting in me, the process and yourself that you don't have to take that bigger breath mm-hmm. and, you can, and you get that need to breathe, but then you can go into an exhale and you can relax your body into that exhale knowing that once you're at the end of that exhale, then you can take a breath in 
right and it's that needs guidance you know that to get that right that needs guidance um and to have somebody by your side supporting you whilst you're in that first experience of it of you know being able to say oh my god i you know is this what i'm meant to be feeling is it meant to be like that it needs it needs two of you to to work on it Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where i suppose the difference comes and so for for people um listening who want to work with you um are you open to working with people on zoom and where can they find you yeah and my website is um www.thebreathingclinic.org and I work on Zoom, and um, I've got more clients on Zoom. I do work face-to-face locally where I live, but I have more clients on Zoom. Because uh, you're in the UK, right? In the UK. Um, can you, Did we actually explain the control pause? We didn't, no. Okay, can you explain what the control pause is? Yeah, so the control pause is a very, very simple measurement of where your current breathing is at in terms of your ability to tolerate carbon dioxide. And all you do, you breathe in through the nose and you breathe out through the nose. And at the very end of your exhale, you pinch the nose tightly and you hold the breath. And you sit with that breath hold until you feel the very first natural desire to breathe. And the minute you feel that very first natural desire, you release the nose and you time how long you've held it for. And that might be, if somebody's very poorly or got lots of health conditions going on they might have a control pause of three or four that's three or four seconds mm-hmm. my aim at the end of the five weeks is to get people to between 20 and 25 seconds of being able to hold their breath comfortably without feeling like this need to <gasps> need to take another breath in mm-hmm. now so again the control pause is something that that clients find quite tricky it yeah. sounds basic but when you're sitting in that moment and you're waiting to work out when that first desire to breathe is, it's easy to get competitive with yourself right? and to overextend that hold. And it becomes a, more of a maximum hold. And then when you release, you're having to take a few deep breaths in mm-hmm. and out. So just to explain to people that are listening, um, so when I first uh, was interviewing Patrick in January, my control pause was four seconds which I mean really the more that I've read like that's really not great um and then when I was kind of working on some um exercises on my own I think I had it to like I think when I started working with you it was at about eight or something I got it yes it was eight beginning of um March time it was Mm -hmm. eight seconds and then once we'd worked together and we were doing a couple of calls a week and you gave me a whole program where I um would do exercises like you have recordings um of breathwork exercises that I would do religiously every day and by the end of working with you I think I got to like 23 or something um we did have 25 in there at one point but yeah right you were averaging out around 23 which is yeah. phenomenal yeah really amazing progress um so um so joe i just want to say a really big thank you because oh. you've really made a profound change in my life i'm not gonna cry <laughs> <laughs> don't make me i get very emotional but, when clients start talking about the change. But, oh thank you. <laughs> thank you for putting your trust in me 
and trusting the process because it can be a bumpy road as well as we go mm -hmm. along it's not all plain sailing yeah it feels um, two steps forwards and one step back a lot of yeah. the time but Are you struggling with your CPAP? Did you get sent home with the new CPAP machine, but little introduction or explanation on how to use it? Do you feel alone and frustrated as you pull your mask off in the middle of the night? I have just the thing for you. I put together an online course called Mastering Your CPAP. It's a video series where I talk you through all of the things I wish I'd known when I first started CPAP therapy 13 years ago. Um, I learned everything the hard way, and so I put everything into this video series so you don't have to struggle like I did. To sign up for the course, go to sleepapneastories.com and click where it says CPAP course. That's sleepapneastories.com and then click on CPAP course. Okay, so next up we have Dr. Michelle DeFelice Huckey. I've been working with Michelle um, the last couple of months as I start my journey with Vivos Appliances. Okay, thank you so much for joining me, Michelle. Oh, thank you. Right. So nice to see you and chat with you. Right. How did you get into offering the Vivos thing? Like, did, were you offering mandibular advancement devices before for people with sleep issues and then like find the Vivos thing or how did that happen? Yeah, I had been, I've always been interested um, in sleep medicine, especially once I started practicing what we call complete health dentistry. What health dentistry really means is that we're not just concerned about, you know, the next broken tooth to fix, but we're doing a really comprehensive medical history that's three or four pages long, um, including, you know, wanting to know more about people's family history of diseases so that we, you know, it's great to get someone's mouth but you know if the rest of them is suffering or struggling then you know we haven't really done our job um, a lot of times we have patients you know that come in as a new patient they haven't seen an md in five to ten years but then they start coming to see us every three months so mm -hmm. as a dentist you have the opportunity because you have relationships with patients and because of how often we see them to encourage them to get the rest of their body healthy too along with their mouth. So as a result of that, sleep is kind of a natural thing, right? When you start mm -hmm. talking to people about how tired they are and their chronic diseases, all of which are often linked to sleep apnea, mm -hmm. um, we can then, you know, talk to them about sleep. So for a couple of years, I was primarily doing sleep testing because I took a class with a couple of team members, you know, and as mm -hmm. you know, from being in my, in my office, we have 12 to 14 team members at any given time, depending yeah. on what's happening. Um, and so three of us went and took a couple of pretty extensive sleep classes. We purchased our first home sleep testing device. Um, but because my entire team wasn't really trained all at once, 
there were gaps in communication with patients. So when we found the Vivos company through our complete health training, we were all really excited because we could get trained all at once partly because it was in the middle of the pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, via, via Zoom <laughs> versus having to travel to like Colorado or whatever. Um, so it, it's a, the success of it in our practice is primarily because of the total team training. And then the exciting thing about Vivos versus CPAP or mandibular advancement um, appliances are that it's an actual cure. So there really isn't any other treatment other than the laser palette treatment that we do that's really a cure. You know, when you're on a CPAP machine or you're wearing a mandibular advancement device, that's something that you isn't treating the disease really. It's mm -hmm. um, holding the tongue off of your airway so you can breathe, which is great because it's important. <laughs> yeah. And it's not a cure. Um, I mean, I would say also certain surgeries would be a cure, like people that have um, MMA surgeries that move their, if that's successful, that definitely cures sleep apnea. And people oh, who yeah. have sleep well, apnea surgery. because of huge amounts of weight gain, like if they yes. have gastric bypass surgery, like that can act as a that's cure correct. as well. So there, there's other things too. It but, can be, yes. um, so a lot of people listening will find it strange that I went to a dentist to get this treatment when it sounds like an orthodontic, like palate expansion really is in the realm of orthodontistry. Um, and so can you speak a little bit towards like a lot of dentists getting the Vivo system and getting into what is kind of like an orthodontic realm if you like because <laughs> I know certainly I am not the only person but like I certainly um went to a number of board certified orthodontists who advised against this sort of treatment and it's quite a controversial area so do you want to speak a little bit to that you're uh, like yes, not really <laughs> pass <laughs> yes it is controversial uh I've talked to a couple of orthodontists about it um I do, you know, I do think there, there are becoming, right, there, there are becoming more and more orthodontists that are interested in it, mm -hmm. um, which is great. Um, there are more and more orthodontists because airway has become a really sort of across all, across all realms of dentistry, um, treating the airway, respecting the airway, um, making sure that when you're just doing regular dentistry, you're not compromising the airway. That's that's infiltrating all of dentistry. Mm -hmm. So, and it always lags behind, right. right? Because dental schools as a rule are very conservative. They don't want to be, you know, the first one to yeah. be, be, you know, instituting things. Right. They, it takes a long time for it to infiltrate dental schools, but most of our continuing education institutes, even one that I went to 25 years ago, that um, pretty much touted that everything in dentistry especially jaw pain was related to the bite right well, now when you go to that same institute they they believe that everything is related to the airway yeah and that no matter what we do we have to first treat the airway um and, and change i think change in medicine and in dentistry like it takes a really long time right and it's kind of um a little bit I mean I feel like with this a lot of it is 
patients like actually seeking out the treatment that they've researched right like I've talked to a number of people before I found I mean I should just say to everybody listening we already knew each other because you'd already worked on my husband's dental implants so I already had a level of trust and knowing who you were and and all of that which was really good but before I found that you were doing this I was looking into driving like two hours to you know another dentist that was offering this particular system just because I'd done my own research so I feel like somehow like you know with this there's a lot of patients that are kind of driving the change because they are doing the research themselves and and choosing like this is what they want to do but yeah what I wanted to ask you was so you're actually doing this treatment yourself oh yes ma'am so do you want to tell us a little bit about your own journey and how far through you are and what you're seeing yeah, I, it's interesting. I have um, suffered, I would say for like the last 10 years with, you know, t- feeling fatigued. Um, I will say that fatigue is interesting in our society, seeing as how I uh, survey and screen people for it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but women like you and I have a tendency to underreport our fatigue because we're constantly running around doing things. So because you're moving all the time, you don't so right um, now, I'd like to form fatigued. a distinction between what you're doing and what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I don't know how you're doing all the stuff you're doing because you're running a <laughs> dental practice and raising <laughs> twins and doing all this. Yeah. Like, I think we're on different <laughs> levels, but carry on. <laughs> yes. Um, so I finally figured out that it was related to airway, especially because I was a snorer as a college student. I stopped snoring because I had my tonsils removed. But then I started snoring again. So throughout the whole mandibular advancement training, I finally did a home sleep test. And even though my, uh, and a lot of people listening know what an AHI is because they've been listening to you, right? Right. My AHI (laughs) is low. My AHI is low, but I have upper airway resistance syndrome. Mm -hmm. And um, then when I started the, so I've been wearing a mandibular advancement device for a long time, which has been great. Um, however, I, once I started learning about Vivos and I'm a headgear baby, my profile and my mandible and maxilla are kind of smashed and have, I got my so tongue shoved into my braces, And then you also had headgear, which kind of almost like retracts everything back. It retrudes everything. It mm-hmm. retrudes your maxilla. That's why my profile is the way that it is. And then your mandible follows your maxilla. So when you have an underdeveloped maxilla, especially when it was done it's like a man-made underdeveloped maxilla yeah your mandible then also sets back so just a reminder for everybody listening your maxilla is your your upper jaw and your mandible is your lower jaw just so that everybody's with us (laughs) they know but we're just yes (laughs) so you have been kind of almost reversing that with what you're doing right now yes So the Vivos, it's called an mRNA appliance, is exactly like a mandibular advancement appliance. However, it has the technology embedded in it to begin the, you know, the upper and lower jaw growth that will then, you know, bring the tongue forward and also shorten the soft palate. As everything comes forward, I have a really long soft palate. Um, But as everything comes forward, it pulls both structures forward. So. And so and, how, you know, how many months into that are you? 
I would, how many months are you in? <laughs> I'm ahead of you. So I would say okay. three months. Right on. Yeah. Okay. And you're also doing something for your daughter? Yeah, she's wearing a DNA appliance. So okay, which is same the same one, as me. Same one. Yeah. Matchy. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much every time you have an overbite. So when you bite together mm -hmm. um, and your upper teeth much cover your lower teeth. Yeah. And you have a big overbite you always have a certain amount of an airway restriction because that's what hold you know your lower jaws held back and your tongue yeah. in your your tongue is in your airway and tongues in airways is not great for sleep we all know that everyone right. listening <laughs> <laughs> um so talk to me a little bit about the there's quite an extensive intake process so maybe like for people listening who might have found a dentist or an orthodontist who offer this vivo system and they're interested to go and find out more what does the intake process look like like what do you measure what are you looking for Just tell us a little bit about what people can expect yeah the main the the intake is especially you know as we do more and more of it right it's pretty um it's 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 extensive because we need to collect a lot of information but it's about an hour hour and a half process we take a ct scan that allows us so the CAT scan that we have in our office allows us to see all the structures. So we can see if you need to see an ENT because we can see your deviated septum. We can see the restricted concha in your mm -hmm. upper airway. We can see the soft palate, see that it's, you know, too long or positioned in a bad way. <laughs> we can um, see that your jaw is retruded. We can see that your tongue is in your airway. Um, so that's a really important you and know, you can right get away. to see your actual airway, right? Yes, we can see and measure your airway immediately within, you know, two minutes, which is yeah. great. That, That's that the first time in the, all these years I've actually ever seen uh, a CAT scan of my airway. It yeah. was not large. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we always say, do you want to breathe through a garden hose or a cocktail straw? Right. You know, we, all, we all want the garden hose. That's right. the goal. Uh, so that's really the first thing that we do. And then just like other, you know, we do several different surveys so that we have a sense of people's symptoms, mm -hmm. you know, because also as many people listening know, when you do your home sleep test, because that's part of the intake too, um, that AHI number doesn't necessarily match the symptoms. You know, a lot of people talk about gasping and yeah. they know their airway is closing and then their AHI comes back low. So thank you for saying that because I, that's, I spend my whole time just, uh, DMing and emailing with people asking me questions and all the stuff. And the number of times people come back with like a, a mild case of sleep apnea or, um, upper air resistance syndrome and they feel horrendous but I think that doctors are looking at that number going well you really your AHI is only you know a seven or or yeah, whatever so that doesn't even weight. but yeah, some people's lives weight, are completely fine. ruined by that you know it just really depends on the person and how you are coping with with you know that I, I just don't know whether like AHI I think is helpful but it doesn't give the whole picture Exactly. It's really only part of the story. And I will say that many of the people that we treat with appliances or night lays or Vivos, 
um, are so relieved to know that they're not crazy, right? Yeah. First of all. Yeah. Especially <laughs> um, women who I think often are, um, I've interviewed a number of people for the podcast where with women especially, they are sent down the psychiatric route. Um, which I mean, no doubt their anxiety and depression is rife with people with sleep apnea, but and and deserves treatment on its own. But I think that oftentimes doctors can be dismissive because they just see those um, mental health elements and they don't really get to the root of what's underneath it, which can often be a sleep problem. So, um, yeah, and you can you can end up more and more mentally ill if a physician tells you you're fine just because yeah. your AHI is because <laughs> your AHI is low. right and you're you know then your serotonin you is up out of whack yeah, yeah. <laughs> well we do the CAT scan we do an exam and then we scan the arches right to look at how constricted people are yes um because that's you know that's one of the first things right how constricted is your um upper arch we also look at you know similar to myofunctional therapists we look at the tongue tie the lip tie because the mobility and the position and the strength of your tongue is super important mm-hmm. you can't just pull everything forward if everything's stuck in the wrong position or right so you, you're enough. actually talk a little bit about the importance of myofunctional therapy in this because caitlin shrum who is my myofunctional therapist is now you're collaborating with her is that important for people to know like that myofunctional therapy is a good thing to do yeah, every one of our patients, really part of their treatment um, that's included in what we do is myofunctional therapy. So my anticipation is all of my clients and sleep patients uh, will also have myofunctional therapy, especially because a lot of times they've been tongue-tied since they were born. Yes. Um, and unless they can get their tongue, like we talked about already 10 times, mm-hmm. unless you can <laughs> get your tongue up and forward instead of down and back, you know. It's still going to be in and your resting airway. on the roof of your mouth without causing, yes, um, you know, all sorts of because certainly before I had my tongue tie released, I could get my tongue there just about, but it caused all sorts of pulling on all the different muscles of my face and my neck. Whereas now that I had my tongue tie released, I can actually just rest it there. I think it's probably important just to say that people's cases can vary enormously, right? So oh, I think yes. people have been asking me like, how long does this take and how much does it cost? But it's kind of like, mm-hmm. how long is a piece of string? Because you just don't yeah. know how, what exactly is going on. So it's the best thing for people just to find a dentist or orthodontist and go and discuss their own individual case. That's what I'm kind of thinking. That is the best thing. I mean, if you, the there's the two different devices, right? With Vivos, there's the mRNA and the DNA appliance. If you have um, a lot of symptoms, you know, you're severely tired, you know, you're gasping, you know, and if you're not on a CPAP machine, either because you're CPAP non-compliant or, you know, you're just not a candidate for whatever reason, then we would most of the time are going to put you in an mRNA appliance. That... And it has wings on the side, right? So it works yes. as a mandibular advancement device. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And the DNA appliance essentially just doesn't have the wings. Yeah. Um, and it's similar to orthodontics in that the anticipated treatment time is 12 to 18 months. Now, some people go through the first device, they get the expansion that they get and 
they, we test, you know, we do the home sleep test, they've gotten really good results and they stop, um, which is completely fine. You know, once people are breathing well, even if their teeth aren't in a position that I would like, or, you know, it's not about, you know, about me or I, I feel like they're not done. What's important is that the right. patient's healthy and they're breathing well and they're comfortable and their symptoms are better. Right. Because at the same time, a lot of times people have, you know, done an anti-inflammatory diet, they've lost some weight. So they've done, they've had their tongue tie release. They've, you know, they've done a lot of other things, mm -hmm. right. Cause it's not a, it's, you know, it's not a, they've gone and seen the therapist and treated mm -hmm. their insomnia. So everything should be happening at once with patients. Right. Um, and sometimes really quickly they're symptom free or, you know, and quicker yeah. than we think. And so then they just stop. Right. Really only 20% of the time do people get their teeth lined back up with braces. So that's what I was going to ask you next. So, um, I don't know, you probably didn't listen yet to last week's episode with Chandra. So she's my friend who just went through the whole Vivos thing a couple of years ago and had wonderful results and all that. So when we were talking, when I was talking to you and I was saying, am I going to need braces at the end? When my um, palate expands, will I have lots of gaps in my teeth? You, you said like, you know, oftentimes it just kind of depends, but maybe some Invisalign, maybe um, dental implants, just because I'd had some teeth removed. And then when I talked to Chandra, she's like, so like me. Um, and she was like, yeah, my teeth got a little bit gappy. And then they kind of went back to normal and they look totally fine. I'm sleeping really well. So, and then she hasn't been exactly. back to her dentist. So yes. <laughs> that's a pretty common experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even my clinical director, who all he does, it really is sleep. Um, he says only about 15 to 20% of the time do people bother with the braces. They just yeah. leave their, they're like, so they don't want anybody to mess with it. Right. You we know, did, like, like okay, I think I'm that's good. the thing. I think that's what I was trying to get across to you the, the first time we talked about this. Like, mm -hmm. I just would give anything for a good night's sleep at this point. Exactly. Like, you know, and that's kind of my hope. And if my teeth look a bit wonky, I will be okay with it. <laughs> exactly. And you don't seem like really flippant, but like honestly, yeah. that's the truth. Like it's yeah. just when you've lived with sleep apnea for your whole adult life and you're using a CPAP every night and, you know, you just want to like find a solution. So that's exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you certainly don't want an orthodontist who may or may not know, right. About airway hundred percent right. to be lining your teeth back up. Cause then you're like, Oh gosh, they're going to exactly. Well that honestly, that's kind of my thing because yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, where can people find you? I am in Neptune Beach, Florida, which is really Jacksonville Beach, like a continuum of it. And um, you can find me in my office. It's Jack's Beaches Family Dentistry, 904-247-0111. Um, happy I'll put to... some links to your office in the show notes as well. Um, but also, are you? do you think it's the kind of thing, a couple of people have asked me, do you think this is the kind of treatment that people could come from further away and like how often do, do they have to actually see you in person like do you think people they, in south georgia or like 
a little bit further afield could manage it or what do you think? Yeah, I do have people several hours away. Um, as you know, at first, especially, we see people every four to six weeks. Um, once people are used to what they're doing and I trust them to, you know, move the appliance the way they're supposed to, you could go through big apps. The only thing that we do have to do is adjust the appliance. As you also know, as your jaw grows, it pushes on the appliance. And so we have to relieve that. Mm -hmm. um, well yeah. thank you so much for your time michelle i really appreciate it well thank you miss emma so since it's the last episode in this season i decided it was time to introduce you guys to my husband and um, my husband jason is very supportive um of me in all ways and he really um keeps me laughing and smiling even through some of the toughest times with my sleep apnea. So without further ado, here is my lovely husband, Jason. You ready? Ready. Okay, so welcome Jason Cooksey. Hello. My beloved husband. Wife of mine. <laughs> so I waited a while before I decided to have you on the podcast. I thought I'd get my feet wet first and then but it's time for your debut. So you had to hone your skills before the hard-hitting segments. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> um, so a lot of these things I don't think I've actually ever asked you before. Um, I know, right? One thing I was interested to ask you was, what did you think at first when I first got diagnosed with sleep apnea and got prescribed the CTAP mask? Well, I guess the first thing I thought was that explains it. Right. Because like you'd had the, the, the symptoms of sleep apnea for a long time before you were diagnosed with sleep apnea. You snored a lot. You um, did I snore a lot? A fair bit, you know, <laughs> fair, pretty fair bit. I um, always say that I didn't really snore that much, but maybe I did. Oh, uh, you did. But then also like you woke up a lot during the night and like you would, you know, when you had a particularly bad night's sleep, you were really needed to nap during the day and like you know when you know how it's like when you really don't get that sleep and then you're like dozing off and getting that fight or flight sort of response yeah. and things like that so like those things weren't super prevalent but like they did like they all existed before so when you were first diagnosed with sleep apnea i was just like oh okay that explains a lot of what's going on hmm. and then like i really didn't know what to expect you know with the cpap machine had a lot of fun initially having you pretend to be Darth Vader and go something, something, dog's hard. And, yeah. And, and, and all what of What do you mean initially? <laughs> okay. That's still a fringe benefit that I enjoy from time to time. The first, it, it took a little while adapt to, to adapt to going to sleep with you sleeping in the first CPAP machine because it was a bit louder than the one you have now, which mm -hmm. is super not loud at all. It's no trouble at all. Yeah. So. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Um, and then, so that also kind of um, answers the second question, which was, how have you used humor <laughs> to help yourself cope and to help me cope? Well, I think that like, I mean, you often read a lot into that, but I don't think that, I think that it's fair to say that I use humor as a coping mechanism for just about everything. Well, that's so that's not isolated to specifically to your sleep apnea, right. but there's just so much low hanging fruit, <laughs> you know, to use humor in the sleep apnea thing. Right. Because for example, now that you've got your, what's the mandibular mononus or 
uh, palate expander right now, but then it will be in the mandibular massive. Right. So, so the palate expander now, you know, you basically have a retainer in your mouth. And so, you know, you sound like Jimmy Fallon's little. And so, yeah, I hate my And so, like, that every time you put that in, it's just comedy gold. Right. So, right. So, what did you think last summer when I first started my podcast? Um, well, like, I mean, I was, I think I'm like, in general, like, I was supportive, like, I'm always supportive for all the stuff that you try and do. And, um, and so, but it's been really interesting, like, as it's evolved, I'm like, I just get more and more surprised every time, you know, there are people that care. Well, just like, you know, you know how technologically challenged I can be sometimes, and I still don't quite understand the difference between a podcast and a YouTube interview. I know. You know, some of those basic things. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's definitely been interesting to see how it's it's evolved and how much you've grown, and I am very proud of you for your oh, okay. And then my last thing is just, do you have any advice for people married to someone with sleep apnea about how to be super supportive or, like, any particular things you want to tell those people? Well, I guess the main thing that I would say is like when you go to bed at the same time they go to bed, if you're, if you do, and then you wake up in the morning and then they wake up in the morning, you should operate with the assumption that they got like an hour's sleep, right? right? Or maybe two hours sleep. You think they got a full night's sleep because you got a full night's sleep. Right. And so, like, a very good question to ask and, like, that not just is, like, how are you doing sort of question is, how did you sleep is a very important question to ask someone right. with sleep apnea in the morning and get an honest answer. Right. Because how that person slept is going to have major ramifications across the board for the entirety of the day. Yeah. Um, it could alter your schedule. Like, right. you know, if, if it was, a, if you had a horrible night, I need to know that like when the kids come home from school, I'm going to have to figure out a way to work and entertain them because you are going to need to nap. So just, that's really the biggest thing is just knowing to a certainty how well your partner slept the night before is very critical. A lot of my pre-existing skills just mesh well with a, someone who has sleep apnea because like it's hard to move my needle anyway like right. i don't when things are going super well i tend not to get too worked up and when things aren't going so well i tend not to get too upset so yeah. but definitely like if you're if your spouse has sleep apnea and they've had a bad night and they're snappy not about you. it's it's not about you which for someone like me when it usually is about me that is like i'm usually the one that's screwing up if somebody's screwing up so Okay. Is there anything else you want to share with my listenership? Um, just keep listening. And, uh, you know, if you know any, like one of the things, like I'm not going to lie to you and say that I have listened to every second of every podcast or every second of any of the podcasts. Do you know what a podcast is? I, I'm learning what the podcasts are. But what I would say is like, if you want to do me a favor, is like I do get to hear a lot. Like when Emma gets a new interview, of a uh, new person that she's interviewing for a podcast. She has really interviewed some very interesting people. And so I love hearing about the people that she's interviewing. So if you know any really interesting people with sleep apnea or, or even people that you know deal with sleep apnea, reach out to Emma and tell her 
um, who those people are because like she but it keeps our dinner because it keeps yeah it keeps our dinner conversations interesting and you know just some fascinating people I've heard about and I would love to keep hearing about new fascinating people good deal well thank you Jason thank you wife of mine <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.